talk to you about this morning. I'm going to talk to you about having the attitude of Jesus. Having the attitude of Jesus. And so that's what we will discuss um, for a short while is having the attitude of Jesus. I wanted to get this recorded because I want this to be kept where if we need to point someone, direct someone towards this teaching, that they will come and hear it, listen to it whatever way, because this is very important that we have the attitude of Jesus. So the first uh, scripture that I'm going to share with you this morning is John chapter 13, and I'm going to read John chapter 13, verse 1 through 16, and we're going to be talking about having the attitude of Jesus. And so in verse number one, it says in John chapter 13, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end and supper being ended. The devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garment and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Question mark. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Question mark. Ye call me master and Lord. And ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verse 16, final verse. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than than his Lord. And so here we are with Jesus pointing out at the last verse. He is saying, you that I'm leading, I am Lord. You see, you call me Lord and you believe that I'm Lord. And Jesus says, I am your Lord, 
But I'm sent. This is why he keeps using the reference points of God because he wanted to show again the importance of submission. That we don't do things on our own that we should always be led. And so he's saying as master of you, I'm leading you. But even me, as I lead you, I am under authority as well. And he's showing them that even though I'm your master, I still serve you. Even though I'm your master, I still serve you. And so we need to look at that right there as we start to look at this lesson on having the attitude of Jesus that he... Jesus, the master, turned around even though he was supposed to be leading the disciples and served them. We got to hold on to that and realize that Jesus served those that he was Lord and master over. And if we're going to have the attitude of Jesus, then one big thing we must really understand and come to get a hold on, and that is we are to serve one another. We are to serve one another. And yes, I am a little concerned in this day and age. Uh, I was talking to a pastor yesterday, or yeah, yesterday was Friday, and we talked about how 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, uh, people wanted to serve. I understand that probably that was prevalent at the time where serving others seemed normal and people wanted to do that. People cared about one another enough and probably didn't have much anyway. So the best that you could ever offer people is service because how much did we really have? And so long time ago, we, we, we look forward to serving one another. And I'm thinking that probably because that's all we had to offer. We serve one another. I, the one thing that stick in my mind, a lot of things stick in my mind. I told you I got a whole lot of useless information in my head because I don't know why I kept them around. But one thing that I always remember growing up as a kid in Jamaica, I remember how my grandmom used to always take food next door and next door will always send food over to my grandma. And I'm, I'm always wondering about that, like, what's the sense? You cook, you cook, just, just cook and eat your food. But they would send food to each other. It was a common practice in Jamaica where people would send food over. Nobody asked for it. It's just if you cook, you just send food across the way. Whoever it is that, you know, you're, you just send the food. So I do believe that 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, we didn't have a lot. So serving one another was what all we had to offer. But as we started gaining more material things and we start having more, it looked like we kind of started moving away from serving one another because we can get our own servants. But if we're going to be like Jesus, Jesus is timeless. We function in time. Jesus do not function in time. And so if Jesus said we need to be a servant, that it doesn't mean, you know, that's just back in the day. But today you don't be a servant. We ought to be servants like Jesus was a servant. We ought to be servants and we need to serve 
one another. So we'll talk about this a little bit. He knew the time was short. In fact, in just a few days, the disciples would be scattered and Jesus would be hanging on a cross. Suspended between heaven and earth, dying to save humanity from their sins. But for that night, while gathered with a ragtag group of misfits, Jesus taught a powerful lesson. It became a lesson the apostles would preach and teach for years to come. It was the last supper Jesus would eat with the twelve who had followed him for the past three years. It was not just any supper. It was the feast of the Passover, which each of the four gospel writers attempted to depict. However, only the Apostle John recorded the moment Jesus humbled himself and took on the role of a servant by washing the feet of his disciples. Grabbing a wash basin and towel, Jesus began washing the feet of the twelve one by one. No doubt... An awkward silence filled the room as he went to each of his followers in this unusual act of servanthood. Stooping down to wash the dusty grime of the streets of Jerusalem from their feet, Jesus revealed the true nature of humanity. Or should I say humility? Because humans are not just easily that way. The true nature of humility. And even though these disciples were unaware of the significance of this moment, even Peter tried to stop his master from washing his feet. Jesus continued until each foot had been cleansed. Jesus fully understood that it just that in just a few short hours, each of his followers would in one way or another abandon him during the hour of his greatest need, still Jesus continued. Think about that. Jesus knew that he would be abandoned by every one of them that he was washing their feet. But he never said, please, I'm not washing your feet because I know what's going to happen and you all are going to abandon me. My God. He just kept washing their feet. Would that's showing us the heart of a servant. The heart of a servant said, they might not appreciate what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it anyhow. The heart of a servant realized what I'm doing, I'm not doing it for any one of you. Brother Kellerman know very, very well about this. And hopefully a lot of preachers and servants in the church will understand this. If you never get to the place to understand why you're serving, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Because you can't serve with the intention of looking at people to get a response from them if you're doing good or you're not doing good. You can't serve in looking at people to see if you're making a difference or not. Even though we sometimes do, because I do. I want to hope that I'm making a difference. And the days when I think I'm not making a difference, that can be a very distraught day. A day where you feel like, my goodness, I'm not making a difference. And when you begin to get in your feelings that you feel like you're not making a difference, the Lord always swoop in and remind me, who are you serving? Them or me? 
And I know that's for a preacher, but it's supposed to be for everyone that's serving in God's kingdom. God wants to know from you, who are you serving? Them or him? And that's what he wants to know. Remember, I told you and I will continue to tell you. I tell you all some things that is so pertinent that I hope I will see them practice one day because they're so helpful. And remember, I told you a long time ago that submission, if you really understand it, it's not that hard when you understand that when you submit to authority, you are really submitting to Christ. People like to look at the man or the woman and thinking, well, they're not this and they're not that, so why should I submit to them? You missed the point. You missed the point. Because the point is, we submit because we're obeying him. We submit because we have faith and we know he will not let anyone destroy us when all we're doing is obey him. So it's not hard to submit to a man of God or a woman of God when I really trust God. So when people don't submit, what they're really saying is, I don't really trust God. Take that to the bank. I don't care how you fix it. I don't care how you try to explain it. When you do not submit to a man of God that God has chose to lead a flock, when you do not submit, all you're really saying is, I do not trust God. That's it. There's no other answers. At first, the disciples were uncertain as to Jesus' intent. They were so caught up in the event of recent days that they mistook his act of servanthood as being somewhat of an insult to their intelligence. As Jesus approached Peter, uh, the, 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 the obstinate disciple drew back quickly and declared he would never allow Jesus to wash his feet. Jesus replied, shocked Peter as well as the other disciples. If I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. Peter swiftly recanted, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Every time I read that text, I get a big smile on my face because I can just see any one of us, including myself, because I can just see it. I'm going to, I think I, that's one of the things that Peter have done that I think I would do. Now, I'm not like Peter because Peter is really, you know, emotional. But, but, but that part, I see myself in that where my master, my savior come over to me to wash my feet. And I'm like, oh man, no, you can't wash my feet. You, you, the master, you, the creator, you, you, God manifest in flesh. No, you can't. No, Lord, you can't wash my feet. And then he says, Wayne, if I don't wash your feet, you will not have any part in me. All right. All right. All right. My bad. My bad. Go ahead, Lord. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just give me a shower. I can see myself doing that because I wouldn't want him washing my feet either. So I understand that, that Peter did that. Although at this time they did not understand the reason Jesus humbled himself. He did tell them that after his death, they would come to a full understanding of why he was doing what he was doing by humbling himself and washing the feet of his disciples Jesus taught a lesson to not only his disciples, but to all of us. We must recognize how vital it is to fulfill the role of a servant and humble ourselves as Jesus portrayed 
in John chapter 13. It is not enough for us to profess we are Christians. We must also show the world and each other the impact Jesus is making in our lives. Church, I can't say it enough. We cannot just keep going around telling people that we're Christians and that we believe. We see it so often now, Brother Darrell. Everybody is professing as long as they go to church. Uh, there's this show on um, um, one of the stations that call that that's called Crisley's No Best, and it's a family that you know, family that is well to do. But one of the biggest thing with their whole thing is that they they are people of faith. They're people of faith, but. You hear them make snide remarks. They do a little bit of cursing. They put tattoos on their bodies and different things like that. But they're people of faith. And it just embodies what our world is saying today. That they believe in Jesus. That they are Christians. But you can't find any place where they're letting Jesus come from their life. And the way you're going to do that is by being like him. And what did he do? He was a servant. And so everybody's professing to be a Christian and I have faith and I believe and, and you don't want to be rude, but you want to stop and say, well, show me your works as a servant like Jesus was since you say you're a Christian. Show me those works. And we cannot be a church that say we're Christians and then say, but you know, I'm kind of busy, so I don't have time to really do this. I don't have... If we're going to be Christians, remember, I told you, Scripture says, prove all things. That's the word of God. So how do we prove we're Christians? Because the bottom line is people show up to our church services all the time. that are not Christians. So you showing up, don't say that you are a Christian. People that are not Christians can praise God. So you can't say, well, I praise God. Do you understand that praise is automatic? This is why worship is so challenging because worship is not automatic. But praise is automatic because as soon as somebody does something for you, you praise them because you're selfish. You're glad you got something. So whether it's God or another person, you will automatically praise someone because of what they have done for you. So everybody can praise God. Because at some point in time, you hear people say, thank you, Jesus. So somebody can walk in here and not be a Christian and be here. Somebody can come in here and praise God and not be a Christian. So what are we proving? How do we prove that we're Christians? The only way we're going to prove we're Christians is because we will behave and conduct our life like Jesus did his life. He became a servant. And we should be servants. We have to look in our life and say, how am I serving in God's kingdom? That is a must because that's what Jesus did. And if we're going to be like him, we're going to have to serve. Mm -hmm. Paul began a discourse on the importance of having the mind of Christ in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. This was more than just a good thought Paul had. It was an intense desire which became a lifestyle lived out on a daily basis in the community of disciples as well as in the world. 
I like that, that statement there. It was an intense desire which became a lifestyle lived out. So here is something that I'm communicating to you from my heart. That if we're Christians, it needs to be a lifestyle. It needs to grab a hold of us so much that our life communicates that we're Christian. Not what we say, but our life will communicate that we're Christians. That's our goal. Our life is supposed to communicate. This thing is supposed to overwhelm us so much that our life communicates that we're Christian to everyone that's looking on. What is the mind of Christ? Paul was attempting to describe. Hear me. Having the mind of Christ is the ability to see life from the same perspective as Jesus. I'll say that again. Having the mind of Christ is the ability to see life from the same perspective as Jesus. So if we're going to be like Jesus, because that's what we're supposed to be striving to be like, we have to have his same perspective. This is why sometimes you will hear me say, we need to study the scripture to, to kind of learn the ways of God. So many people grab the scriptures to read them, Brother Darrell, and we're reading them because we're trying to find uh, little do's and don'ts. And we're trying to find the things that go along with what we like. And then the things that don't go along, we just we don't want to read those. But we're supposed to read the Bible. You know what the Bible is supposed to do more than anything else? Help us to know who Jesus is. Understand his ways because we're supposed to be trying to be like him. So when you read the Bible, it's not for nobody else. It's not for your wife. It's not for your children. It's not for your neighbor. It's not for your friends. It's for you to understand who your creator is and mimic him. In the interim of you mimicking him, maybe you can be an example to your children. Maybe you can be an example to your spouse. Maybe you can be an example to your coworkers and all that surrounds you. But all of us, our first responsibility is to mimic Jesus. We have to have his perspective. We have to see things the way the way he sees them. We can't see them the way we want. And I don't know about you, but it's time that we start saying to ourselves, I am so the opposite or I'm not even sure opposite is the right word. I am so different from my master. I am so different from my creator. I am so different from my savior. And everything I think and do, it just seems to be just totally different from what he thinks and what he does. So if we will just start from scratch, we need to break down some of our ways of being and start over, start from scratch. That's why the Bible says when, 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 when we uh, give our life to Christ, we become new creatures. When we're born again, we're new creatures. That thing is heavier than what we've seen. And because we need to become new creatures in order to really understand his perspective, because the way we are, it's not going to do. It won't be suffice to to understand his perspective. We need to see things the way he sees them. So it's not enough to profess to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We must also practice daily the lifestyle Jesus exemplified. We can't just profess every day that we're Christians. We have to be careful that we don't become religious as opposed to being godly. 
I'm going to tell you what religious or religion is. Religion is, I come to the house of God, I take notes, I come to the house of God, I pray, I read my Bible whenever, you know, in the morning or whatever, and I pray. That's religious. You wake up, you pray, you read your Bible, you come to the house of God, you, um, you, you, you praise God, that's religion. Go over that again. You wake up, you pray, you read your Bible, you come to the house of God, you praise God, you are being religious. How can you say that, preacher? Go check Islam. Go check Judaism. Go check Mormonism. Go check Seventh-day Adventists. Go check them all and see if they don't all do that. They all do it. And we say they don't have the truth. So if we're living like those that don't have the truth, what are we? Not because we know there's one God. Not because we know that you must be filled with the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in tongue. Not because we know holiness and righteousness is right. But if we're just living like all the other religious groups, then what are we? Religious. Now, when we start mimicking Jesus, when we start living like Jesus lived when he was on earth, now we become disciples of Jesus Christ. Now we say, oh no, I am not religious. I'm following Jesus. You cannot be religious following Jesus. You can't. Because you can't be religious loving people. You can't be religious serving people. Because God will see to it. If you're religious, he will see to it that he's going to give you a hard case to love. <laughs> you can't be religious following Jesus. He will give you some cases to get that religiosity out of you. So you can't be religious following Christ, but you can be religious doing what I just said. Waking up in the morning, pray, reading your Bible, uh, going to church. Uh-huh. Yes, praising God. When you're in church, pray, all of that stuff, even come to the altar. Religious. Plus, the biggest thing about that is you absorb everything and you gave nothing. That's religious. You can't keep absorbing God's stuff and taking God's stuff and ain't giving nothing out. You're religious. We must constantly and passionately desire to be like Jesus in every area of our lives. We need to acquire his point of view. How do you get the mind of Christ? Just the question. How do you get the mind of Christ? Why do you think it is important for us to have the mind of Christ? Those are questions we need to ponder. What is Jesus's point of view? By closely examining the life and ministry of Jesus, we can discover that his intent in how we live. Paul wrote that Jesus Christ emptied himself, made himself of no reputation, humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Listen to this. Having the mind of Christ consists of possessing the same attitude Jesus had in at least three different areas. I'll say that again. 
Having the mind of Christ consists of possessing the same attitude Jesus had in at least three distinct areas. Let's look at those areas. These areas are. So you're trying to have or possess. Consists. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me go back to what I said earlier. Having the mind of Christ consists of possessing the same attitude Jesus had in at least three different areas. So if you're trying to have the mind of Christ, part of what it would consist of is by having the attitude. But here are the three areas that you can obtain uh, having the attitude that Jesus had. These are the areas. Number one, humility. I don't know what your definition is of humility, but here is a good way to look at humility. If you will understand that you can do nothing of yourself and that you need Jesus, that's truly walking in humility. When you understand that you can do nothing without Jesus, that's truly walking in humility. The moment you begin to think that you're great and you can do this. Remember I told you the other day that even if you have been blessed with ability like no other, it came from Jesus. So you really never have a position to brag about who you are and what you can do. So if you truly want to walk in humility, the way you do that is to realize nothing you can ever do and be is because of you. It's because of Jesus. If you walk like that, you are walking in true humility because then when someone gives you credit, you're not going to, def you're going to deflect it, not for any other reason, but only because you know, I serve an awesome God. He's making me look good. And, and even when you receive it, you're receiving the praise with, with, with humility because you're going to say, thank you. But in the back of your mind, Lord, you're making me look good. It's not because of anything I've done, but it's because of you working in me. And you say, thank you politely. But if you walk like that, you're walking in true humility. The other day, Brother Daryl, um, I don't want to put him on the spot, but I just use all these different ways of communicating to you so you get it. And he would just, he, he just purchased a, a car the other day. And, you know, but this is something that needs to be told. Daryl put his two kids through um, college. He paid for them to go to college. And all his time paying for them, he, he just really didn't have much. He just lived just enough, you know, for himself. And he had to promised himself that when, he, when his kids, both of them graduate college, when the last one graduate college, he will try to treat himself and get a nice car. He's never had a brand new car or anything like that, but he did what he could to take care of his boys. And so when his last boy graduated, he said he's going to buy himself a nice car. So he bought it the other day. And I just watched him. I'm talking to him and we're looking at the car. And Daryl just looked at me, just so humbly said, man, it was God that worked this out. And that's what I'm talking about when I say humility. When you realize that what you have is not because you're great. What you are doing is not because you're great, but it's because Jesus Christ is working in your life. It's because Jesus is doing something in you and through you. And that is why the moment we ever think that it's because of us, we're in trouble. So the first area to really have the mind of God and to really have his attitude is to have humility. 
The second thing is to have compassion for the loss. Hmm. That's a big one. Have compassion for the loss. Listen. It's not easy to have compassion for the loss. And that's a loaded statement there. But what do you mean by that, preacher? Mean you can be worn out having compassion for the loss. But again, you go back to the first thing, though, is. But if you're humble, meaning you're totally dependent on Jesus, then you will continue to have that compassion for the loss. Because sometimes it's, it, it's like your heart is being ripped out when you want to see people. I just made a statement the other day when I told you. I said, man, it's driving me crazy. It's driving me bananas. This week, this week only, Friday or Thursday, I had two people call me. I had a, uh, a woman call me and said she'd been talking to another woman that's really going through it, that's struggling. She said, can I give her your number? She said she want to talk to a pastor. I said, give her my number. Then I had a, a brother call me, text me and says, hey, um, my wife was talking to a lady. She's going through it and just want to know, can she call you? I said, tell her to call me. I haven't heard from them yet. That's just those two. But I'm telling you, I look out all the time, whether it's my family member, people I work with, people I'm close to, our neighbors, people in church, whatever it is, I look out and I see people are struggling and going through and life is a challenge for them. They're hurting. They're frustrating. They're frustrated and they're going through a lot of things, but they won't reach out to Jesus. And I'm just like dying inside like, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. You are the source and the answer and they know it. And, and, but they won't reach out to you. But the way I keep myself humble is because I realize it's nothing I can do about it. So I need to still keep having compassion because I can't do anything about it. And the bottom line is those individual and Jesus is the one that will work together for their situation to change. So we can point them to Jesus. We, we, can, we can help them to go to Jesus. We can teach them, instruct them. But at the same time, they still must respond to Jesus as Jesus is working in their heart for there to be a change. You have to guard against not getting uh, uh, bitter with people because the answer is so right there. And you have for some, you have given them the answer and they still won't respond. But when you understand that you didn't respond the first time Jesus called your name. The first time Jesus said you need to uh, surrender your life. The first time somebody told you about him, you didn't respond. You were going through stuff. Your life wasn't in order, but you still didn't get it right the first time. Those are things that you have to use to help yourself just stay humble and realize we have to keep having compassion for the loss. Plus, the way you show compassion for the lost is to get involved with them. Oh, man, they will wear you out. Having compassion for the lost will wear you out. But guess what? It's no big deal. I know we can't wear Jesus out, but... Just for conversation's sake, we wear him out. 
And that's why I'm okay with getting involved with lost people, even when they look like they don't care, even when they look like they don't want to do it, even when they look like they're not going to pray, even when they look like they're not going to just trust God and obey God. I'm still staying involved with them because Jesus stayed involved with me, even when I didn't act like I wanted to do it right, even when it looked like I wasn't going to give my, he stayed involved with me. So we must get involved with the loss. That's how we show our compassion. It's never good to show compassion standing back and, 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 and staying away from people. It's not good to show, that's not how you show compassion by, by, you know, standing back and saying, oh, well, they're a mess. That's not it. You have to get involved with people. It's, it's like, it's like what we're dealing with as a country now. What they say, this little seed that was planted some years ago by by Colin Kaepernick uh, kneeling while the, um, the, 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 um, the national anthem was being sung. That's the seed that was planted and he was trying to make a stand for social injustice. That's what he was doing. And he got a lot of criticism for it. And... He's still getting criticism for it, and other people are getting crit- criticized for it. And I'm not going to get into the criticizing or not criticizing part, but what I will get into is I'm the kind of guy that I would rather just get involved in trying to help and not have to make a stand. It's not me. I'm always about how do I make a difference? How do I help this situation? And you might feel like, you know, Making a stand, you know, screaming from the top of the hill might get people's attention, but I've always known this. You can get people's attention, but if you can't give them the plan for solution, you still didn't accomplish what you set out to accomplish. And so for lost people, it makes no sense that we, you know, declare it from the pulpit. Makes no sense we come in the building and, oh, we got to reach the lost. And we claim that's compassion when we never get involved with reaching the lost. When we never get involved with where they are. Do we go where they are? This is why home Bible study is so important. We call it home Bible study because why? One of the reasons why it's home Bible study is we want to get to where they are. And too often, we want people to come to where we are. But if we really have compassion for the lost and we're trying to reach them, we need to get to them where they are. Because sometimes they won't come through the doors. Sometimes they will not come see you. You got to go where where they, they are. When you have compassion, you will go where they are. But if you just declaring something, you stand off and, you know, hopefully they'll come. You need to get saved. Well, how about you show them how to get saved? The third thing. We must have a total dependence on God. A total dependence on God. I don't know about you, but you need to have total dependence on God. I know I am nothing without him. We must understand we're nothing without him. Without him. Let us examine them a little closer to see if we might begin placing them into our daily walk with God. So all points that I just mentioned, humility, 
compassion for the loss, and total dependence on God, we need to really implement them and make them become a part of our daily lives as we walk with God. When Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, he took on the role of a servant, humbling himself before his followers. This act of servanthood was something the disciples did not fully understand. Jesus attempted to reveal to his disciples how important the act of humility was in the kingdom of God. His unselfish act provide or provides a window the followers of Jesus Christ can look through, revealing how vital it is to humble yourselves and serve each other. We need to serve one another. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, we are introduced to the mission of Jesus Christ. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus' compassion for the lost was the central focus of his ministry. Jesus was willing to commit the most unselfish, humble act of all time by laying down his life for others. We are reminded in John 15 and 13... Greater love had no man than this, that a man may lay down his life for his friend. Another way we can possess the same attitude Jesus had is to have a total dependence upon God. Examine again John 5, 19, and you will discover Jesus was clear that he could not do anything without first the Father revealing to him what needed to be done. So let's look at John 5, 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Our lives will be meaningless. Listen to this. Our lives will be meaningless without a complete reliance upon God to reveal to us what must what we must do with our lives. So if our lives are not dependent upon God, it's meaningless. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Only what we do for Christ will last. And so the bottom line is, it's only our dependence upon Jesus, our reliance upon his instruction. Only that will reveal in our lives that will make a difference. Fulfilling the mission of Jesus by humbling ourselves and reaching out to others in serving and saving can only be conducted by a total dependence upon the word and the spirit of God. Becoming someone who lives to serve others is a noble pursuit. The role and purpose of a servant has many dimensions. Let's look. Let's take a close look at it. First, this is the role of, of a servant. First. Servant thinks of others before thinking of themselves. Servants think of others before thinking of themselves. That's Philippians 2 and 3. It tells us, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Second, servants lower themselves to lift others up servants lower themselves to lift others up 
I don't worry about being embarrassed since I've been living for God. Before God, I worried about being embarrassed. I don't worry about being embarrassed in God because I trust that it's in me attempting to please him that if something goes wrong, it goes wrong. What am I embarrassed for? I'm living to serve God. I'm living to be who God want me to be. So you can't embarrass me and I'm not going to embarrass me when I'm trying my very best to please God. We have to stop and ask ourselves, are we worrying about embarrassment in any level? Because if you are, you need God to help you with that. Jesus knew he would be embarrassed by being stripped naked on the cross. He knows everything. So why didn't he just not go? Because I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to be naked. So you know what? I got to figure out a different way to circumvent this cross thing because I'm going to be butt naked on the cross with this little cloth around me. So why are we worried about being embarrassed? Because some of that is why we don't get involved sometimes because we're worried about being embarrassed. But you, you get locked in to say, I'm going to be a servant of God. You don't get embarrassed because your job as a servant is to lower yourself to lift somebody else up. So if I get low and you want to talk about me, that's fine. If I get low, you want to talk about me, that's fine. What do you think Jesus was doing when he got low first? When he was washing the feet of his disciples, he got low. For what? To lift them up. What are we worrying about? Get low. So somebody else can be lifted up. That's how we're trying to live, to be like Jesus. Not worried about being embarrassed. You shouldn't worry about being embarrassed either. Our life is finished. It's hid in Christ, as the scripture says. So it's no longer I that live, but Christ live in me. That's how I'm trying to live. So whatever is coming out of me don't have nothing to do with me. It's only the nasty stuff that I do in my flesh that is wrong. But as far as the, the spiritual things, it's not me. It's Christ who liveth in me. This is exactly what Jesus did by giving up the splendor of heaven in order to die on a gruesome cross for the sins of humanity. You and I may never go to the extreme, but we must lower our view of ourselves so we can spend our lives serving those around us. I like that. We must lower our view of ourselves. I think I'm trying to get you to understand that. It's not that serious. I'm not going to worry about getting embarrassed. I'm not going to worry about those things, D. It doesn't matter to me anymore. I'm living for Jesus. When I was living for myself, then I worried about being embarrassed. Because whatever happens in me, I got to take the credit for that. Or take the blame for that. When I'm living for Jesus, I don't take no, bledit, no credit nor blame. I'm living for Jesus. No, not taking no credit, not taking no blame. I'm just going to trust in the Lord with all my heart. Lean not to my own understanding. In all my ways, acknowledge him that he might direct my path. I am not going to take any credit and I'm not taking any blame. The only blame I'll take is when I sin. But whatever happens when I am doing what God say do, I'm not going to take the credit and I'm not going to take the blame. We can never think some that task or service is beneath us. I'll say that again. 
We can never think some task or service is beneath us or we aren't capable of doing it. To do so is to reveal some pride that is in us. So if we think there are things in God's kingdom that's beneath us and we won't do that, or it's something that we should be doing that we're not doing, God says, if you're like that, there's some pride in you because I wouldn't tell you to do something that you can't. So why would you ever think that you can't? And the other thing is, why would you think that 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 work in the kingdom is beneath you? Jesus never made anything beneath him. And so he did what he had to do. So we should never think any kind of service to our fellow man or to God is beneath us. Because Jesus never thought that. And when Jesus felt like it was a difficult task to go to the cross, he says, man, this is tough, but not as I will, but as thy will. So in his humanity, he didn't think he didn't want to. And he didn't think he could fulfill going to the cross. But he did it anyhow. So you can't think that you can't do something when God say you can and you can't. Uh, think that there's anything that's beneath you in the kingdom when God say you can. The bottom line is if God is calling you to do it, it's not beneath you and you can do it. The third role and purpose of a servant ties closely with that of our previous dis description. Servants recognize the importance of furthering the cause of another. Servants recognize the importance of furthering the cause of another again by examining the life of jesus it is safe to say this was his primary focus finally servants are willing to lay down their lives for others for mothers it might be a lot more natural for them concerning their children than anything else or anyone else can understand it's no big deal for a mother to lay down her life for her children. That's just something innate that I think God has placed in mothers. But the bottom line is all of us, whether it's our children or not, are supposed to have that kind of attitude because it's what Jesus had to lay down our life for somebody else. Again, we're reminded in John 15, 13, greater love had no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend, this selfless act of Jesus giving his life so others could have abundant life is the greatest act of humility ever revealed. I'm almost there. Servanthood is the attitude God desire of his children in order to fulfill his purpose upon the earth. There truly is no greater purpose than the purpose of the kingdom of God. Huh. You can run after anything you want to run after. But there is nothing more important than the kingdom of God. Jesus declared that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is primarily accomplished in three distinct manner. First, by being a servant, we give glory to God. Therefore, we therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. That's John 13, 31 through 32. Second, we must also understand that by being servants, we identify with our master 
and seek to fulfill the purpose he came to fulfill by helping to seek and to save the lost. The entire mission of Jesus can be summed up in Luke 19 and 10. It behooves us to put on the same attitude by investing our life in the work of serving and discipling others. By being servants, we follow the pattern Jesus set forth by being obedient and humbling ourselves. The entire ministry of Jesus was spent training and leading his servants or his disciples, teaching them the importance of being obedient to God and serving others in such a way it revealed they were disciples of Christ. So I'm telling you this. We're supposed to serve in such a way that people will say, you are the disciples of Christ. That's how we're supposed to serve. You don't have to go around telling people you saved. You don't have to go around telling people you're a Christian. You don't have to go around telling people there's one God. You don't have to go around telling people that I go to church. If you begin to serve like Jesus Christ served when he walked this earth, people will have to take stock and say, who are you? You got to be a child of Christ. You've got to be somebody because you're just different. Man, I want to get to that place where I serve. I, I, I do God's will so much that somebody will know that, no, 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 you, you, you're different. You're from God. You're somebody else. Let this mind, this is Philippians 2 and 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Fully becoming a servant does not happen overnight. We must constantly be fighting against the spirit of this age that promotes the elevation of self. If you're not careful as a Christian, you will just be consumed by the whirlwind of this world, which is to be consumed with yourself, what you want, how you feel, your situation, and not be focused on serving Jesus Christ. How then can we take on the role of a servant? Primarily, Jesus revealed two distinct paths we must traverse in order to fulfill the role of a servant. Path number one is found in Matthew 20, 25 through 28 and instruct us that those who will be great must first learn to serve. Now, I know what you're saying. I don't want to be great. I'll tell you something about that. Each of us has dreams of greatness. So if you say you don't want to be great, you're lying. Okay, preacher, what do you mean by that? We all want to be great parents. Who want? Who don't want to be a great parent? <laughs> we all want to be great parents. If you work a job, you want to be a great employee. If you're a leader, back to parents or any other form of leader, you want to be a great leader. If you're a man, you want to be a great man. If you're a woman, you want to be a great woman. So all of us want to do great things. We, we, we want to be great at something. So we just need to accept that we have that in us to say, I want to be great at something. <laughs> Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. That's the word of God. 
not my word. Just as the Son of Man did come to serve, or he came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The second path is found in Matthew 23, 11 through 12, where Jesus proclaimed that those who will be exalted must humble themselves. So if you're going to go up, what the old timers like to say, Brother Kellerman, the, the, the best way to go up is to go down. I think we know that by now. Get on your knees and pray. Get on your knees and wash somebody's feet. While warning people about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, Jesus instructed his listeners to put on humility. Again, the desire to be lifted up is in all of us. Our nature is to want people to recognize us. Some desire public recognition, while others, perhaps those who do not prefer crowds or public affection, still wish to be recognized, even if it's done in a more subtle way. Everybody wants to be recognized. Recognizing our human tendencies, Jesus addressed the dangerous path of exalting oneself. His sermon hinted at the ancient Proverbs. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Proverbs 16 and 18. According to Jesus, the kingdom of God has little room for those who wish to elevate themselves. <laughs> for those who exalt themselves will be humbled but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Matthew 23, 12. These two approaches may be foreign to the thinking of our culture, but each possesses the properly pathway or the proper pathway of servanthood in the kingdom of God. To show forth the love of Christ in today's world, we must strive to be more like Jesus by humbling ourselves and serving others within and without the church. So when you serve others, it's not just when you're inside these four walls. It's not just serving the people in the church, but it's serving people that are not even a part of the church. So you got to serve both. And so I bring this all to a close. I know you all didn't think I was going to be doing this this long, but I'm just, I, I told you before I started, I'm speaking my heart of what I feel because I just believe that the church is, we need to get going. Not just this local church, but the church in general, but also this local church. I just think that we, 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 we're hearing too much and we're doing very little with what we're hearing. And I pray that hopefully this will help all of us to get moving. Listen to this. The tragic end of the doomed sea vessel, the Titanic, is one of the most horrific events in history. Yet, it reveals something important this lesson also portrays. According to survivors' accounts, the women and children first convention was ob observed with almost no dissension, particularly among the upper class. The statistics make this plain. In the first class, the first class on the ship, every child was saved as were all but five of the 144 women. So on the Titanic, in first class, every child that was on board and every lady except for five that were on board were saved on the Titanic. Mm -hmm. 
three of those five women who weren't saved chose to die with their husbands. I don't know about the other two. By contrast, 70% of the men perished. In second class, 80% of the women were saved, but 90% of the men drowned. The men on the first class list of the Titanic ship virtually made up Forbes 400 at that time. John Jacob Astor, reportedly the richest man of his day, is said to have fought his way to a lifeboat, put his wife in it, and then stepped back and waved goodbye. Picture that on the Titanic. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. He had money, so they probably moved out his way. And when he got to the lifeboat, come on, honey. And he put her in. She probably thought he was coming in with her. Love you. So other women can get in the lifeboat. That's what he did. Benjamin Guggenheim similarly refused to take a seat saying, tell my wife I played the game out straight and to the end. No woman shall be left on board this ship because ben Benjamin Guggenheim was a coward. So he made sure, Guggenheim made sure not one woman would drown under his watch. And he wasn't the captain. In other words, some of the most, in, in other words, some of the most powerful men in the world adhered to an unwritten code of honor, even though it meant death for them. What a powerful lesson in how we must also give our lives for others. These men were not Christians I don't think maybe they were. But these were men on the Titanic that realized the women and the children need to live. And they made that decision knowing that they were going to die. We're Christians. We know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. So why are we trying to protect this life so much? For whosoever will lose their life for my sake, will gain eternal life. But whosoever will gain their life will lose out on eternal life. We know these things. And we still can't even do better than those men on the Titanic. We're worrying about our own life. When God already tells us, I got you. You're going to spend eternity with me. The kingdom of God requires that each of us in, in, endeavor to submit to the ways of Jesus and become what he desires of us in order to impact our world. By taking on the role of a servant and humbling ourselves, others will see the image of Christ that is being formed in us on a daily basis. Let's search our heart and ask God to help us in taking on this necessary attitude that Jesus so well exemplified for us. Having the attitude of Jesus is what we need to strive for. This is why this ministry is named Christ-Centered Church. 
because Christ must be our central focus. And if Christ is our central focus, then we ought to have his attitude. And his attitude says, I sacrifice my life for someone else. I get low so somebody else can get high. I humble myself so I can help somebody else reach their potential. This is what he says. He bend over backwards for everyone. He, he's not worried about being ashamed. He just go about reaching people, having compassion for people, lifting up people and not worrying about himself. He gave his life. The question is, what are we doing? How are we serving? Because I got to be honest with you. I am not belittling anything we do as greeters, as ushers, as praise and worship, as audiovisual. All of these things are great things. But all of us need to be involved with helping somebody know who Jesus is. All of us. The Bible says the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his main priority. He came to reveal himself to mankind so mankind will be saved. And so I'm glad for maintenance. I'm glad, Brother Tom, I, you know how much I appreciate you. I can't appreciate you enough because I know your dedication, your commitment, and your faithfulness to coming here and making sure this place is set every week for a long time. And nobody came to you and say, Tom, let me help you. Tom, you do it this week. I'll do it next week. Nobody has said that. You just kept going and kept doing. And I appreciate you. I thank God for you. I thank God for just using you in that kind of way. I appreciate that. Patrice, I appreciate all that you have been doing because I know you got a lot going on. I put a lot on you and I ask a lot of you. I appreciate what you're doing. But I got to tell you too and everybody else. You have to get involved with reaching the loss. If you're not involved with reaching the loss, you still are not doing what Jesus did when he came to this earth. And we need to be able to say, I am doing what Jesus did, which is to serve people, which is to help somebody know who Jesus is. All of us need to be in that place where we can clearly see and grab a hold in understanding that here I can show you I'm involved in helping somebody know who Jesus is so they can give their life. To we all need to be in that area. Not one of us. All of you have somebody you can reach out to. And if we will just pray and say, God, I heard what the preacher said this morning. And I didn't think I know anybody that I could reach out to. But if you will pray and say, God, will you open my eyes and make me aware to somebody who needs to hear that I can minister to. That I can go low so they can go high. So I can serve them and inconvenience myself just so they can know you. If you will point that out to me, Lord, I will go and I will do whatever you want. I will not give up on them. I will not back up on them. I will not let my frustration get in the way because the bottom line is God. You didn't let your frustration get in the way for me. And I didn't get saved the very first time you reached out for me. So God, I will do whatever you need me to do in helping somebody else receive the message of the gospel.
I will be that example. I will be the one to, to help that individual, that person to know you. And I won't complain about a thing, Lord God. I just want to be like you. I want to have your attitude. And so, Lord, will you help me today? Will you help me today to have your attitude and not my own attitude? Lord, will you help me today to do your will and not my will? Father, I pray that the word of God spoken here this morning, it will not just stay with those of us that are right here, but that others who will view this at another time, this word will resonate. This word will take hold. This word, almighty God, will truly, oh God, work in every one of our hearts and cause us, oh God, to start doing the things that make us like you, that will move so greatly in our heart that, Lord, we will begin to do the things that will cause us to have an attitude that you have, Lord God, will cause us to begin to be like you. Father, we've been saying this for so long. I want to be like Jesus, but God forgive us because we declare it, but we have not put the work in to be like you. I pray, Father, that those that will view and hear this word, Lord God, will say, God, no longer will I make that declaration, but Lord, I will begin to do what is necessary to be like you oh god will you help us today will you help us almighty god that the words that's been spoken lord will grab a hold of us it will just take hold of us lord god that we can't get away that we can't escape it lord but we will have to submit to it we will have to obey it and carry it out that we will have the attitude and the mind of jesus christ and not our own attitude and not our own mind let this mind which be in Christ Jesus be also in me. Lord, transform us that we will be like you, Lord God. Create in us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within us, Lord God. I pray that you will create us to be a new creature, Lord God. Oh, Father, I pray for transformation to take place and that, Lord, we will truly do and be, oh God, what you want us to do and be just like you. Bless us today, Lord God, as we go about our ways today. Oh God, alert us. Make us, almighty God, attentive and sensitive, oh God, to your instructions, to your voice. And oh God, to let the light of Christ shine. Bless this church, Lord God, for all the things we pray and ask this morning, for the words of God that has gone forth today. Lord, let it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for being so patient. I know you didn't expect this, but I just, just felt like I had to do something. And hopefully this has helped and God will help us to move forward. Have a great day.